podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. John urges us with these words, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. may be seated. So today, we're going to learn a little bit of German. By that, I mean a very little bit of German. So just a tiny bit, so don't get too upset. One word for starters, and that word is Zeitgeist. Geist, meaning spirit, and Zeit, meaning time. So Zeitgeist is the spirit of our times. Now, what is the Zeitgeist? the spirit of our times. Well, in some senses, it depends on where you happen to find yourself on a given day in the world. Every place on earth, every culture, marches to a little bit of a different drummer. What is okay or commonly believed or commonly known in, let's say, Quebec City, is going to be very different than what is known or commonly believed or held or practiced in Santiago in the Dominican Republic, which is where our mission head office is. But in a greater sense, there is a global zeitgeist. As the internet and specifically social media sites like YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter have bind us all together, the times and therefore our spirit in the world are more and more becoming one. One of the best illustrations of this is in Latin America, where we have countries as diverse as Chile and Argentina and the aforementioned Dominican Republic and Nicaragua and El Salvador, Cuba even, all lumped in together into this region we call Latin America. And it used to be that when we would send missionaries into those places, we would have to teach them the specific culture in each of those places, and certainly for those who are older in Argentina or Chile or Brazil or Cuba or El Salvador, that's true. But you know what we're finding? is the younger generation, more and more, it really doesn't matter where you live. The zeitgeist, the spirit of the younger generation is the same. And we really do chalk that up to the fact that whatever language your parents might speak, you watch the same TikTok videos, the same presentations on YouTube, you post to the same Instagram, and you read the same Twitter feeds. Zeitgeist. Now that term, if you're wondering where it comes from, came, of course, from Germany and the philosopher Hegel. And he was thinking of a whole bunch of different geists. I did say there'd be a little bit of German. He was thinking about a Weltgeist, a world spirit, but also a Volksgeist, the people's spirit. And in case any of you are chasing that rabbit, yes, there is also a poltergeist, which is a noisy spirit, but we're not going to talk much about poltergeist today. For Hegel, this great German philosopher, the world spirit, or the spirit of our times, the zeitgeist, or the weltgeist, is what animates history. 
It's what drives everything forward. It is what leads, in his words, great men, because at the time it was all men, to do great things. Often terrible things, but great things nonetheless. And Hegel looked around himself in the late 19th century and foresaw a time when the Volksgeist, the national spirit, the spirit of a particular culture, would eventually run out and be replaced by a Weltgeist, a world spirit, a Zeitgeist, a spirit of the times. Hegel saw that actually happening in Napoleon whom he once called the world spirit on horseback. Finally, all the world, which in his mind was Europe, will be under one ruler with one culture and one language and one way of approaching the future. This is what Hegel thought of as the zeitgeist, the true actor behind history, the true movement behind the evolution of human culture and society. Hegel's belief in a zeitgeist, a world or spirit and a spirit of the age, was in the belief, are the words of Christian Burek, who is a historian, that one historic epoch is not randomly followed by another, but instead there is a principle of logical evolution. Something exists that's driving humanity forward. Now, a little philosophy, a little German, just to get you primed here, get you thinking about stuff, right? I happen to think now, shifting a little bit and looking at Scripture and looking at our words, our Lord's word to us, that Hegel wasn't that far off the mark. There really is a zeitgeist, a spirit that drives humanity forward, that is, seeks a goal for us and an evolution and a purpose. Jesus calls the zeitgeist the ruler of this world. Paul calls it the God of this age. In John chapter 14, as Jesus is preparing for his arrest and his trial before the Sanhedrin and before Pilate, he says to his gathered disciples in that upper room, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. The zeitgeist, the ruler of this world. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I would add, the true God is what Paul means. So if you're following here, from the German, Zeitgeist, through Hegel, through Jesus, through Paul, we can see that there is, in fact, a Zeitgeist or a Weltgeist at work in moving humanity forward, in wanting to drive society's evolution, in wanting to shape a culture. And that Zeitgeist in Scripture goes by another name. Satan. He is the one behind all of this, you see, who seeks his own goals for you and me, 
his own goals for human society, his own goals for the future of our world, and his goals take us nowhere good. Because he does not have your interests or my best interests at heart. Satan, you see, wants to grow a beautiful branch grafted into himself. A branch that draws its nutrition from poison soil that drinks only polluted water. Kindness. Tolerance. Being nice to each other. Love is enough. This is our zeitgeist, and it all sounds very good. And it is, in fact, very good because Jesus says so. But if the branch that wants to hold to those things and flower with those flowers is not grafted into the true vine, or as John puts it in his epistle, if that love does not come from a good spirit, it will not last and it will not remain good. Now, the reality is that people these days like to think of themselves as spiritual, right? Nobody's religious because being religious is bad. Although, truth be told, I do have one best friend in Montreal who joked with me once. He said, my problem is I'm very religious but not very spiritual. We're used to hearing the opposite because being spiritual is a good thing, right? It means acknowledging that there's, there's some kind of spirits out there. Religion, of course, is bad because religion focuses on a particular spirit and seems to exclude all the others or suggests that perhaps we should test the spirits that some are better than others. But being spiritual is okay. And I remember being at a youth conference once in Houston, Texas, where somebody was helping us wrap our brain around this whole idea of it's good to be spiritual, but not to be religious, and said, next time you're in a conversation with somebody about that, ask them who the most spiritual person in the Bible is. She looked at all of us, of course, so who do you think the most spiritual person in the Gospels is? And some people, of course, said Jesus, and some people said John the Baptist. Others reached back in the Old Testament, said Elijah. Basically, the same answer to the question that Jesus asked about who do people say that I am. But she said, no, the most spiritual person in the Bible is the Gennesaret demoniac. Because when Jesus asked the name of the spirit that lived in that man who was naked and chained up and living amongst the tombstones, the answer was, we are legion. Many spirits. He's a very spiritual person, right? We always think of the spirits as being good, and yet there is a clear example of how bad the spirits can be. So is there only one zeitgeist in our world? Is there only one world spirit? Well, in a certain sense, yes. Satan, as I talked about, the God of this age, as Paul calls him, the ruler of this world, as Jesus calls him. But Satan is not alone. It is not incorrect either to say that there are many zeitgeists. Many spirits of this age, or as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 6, many rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and forces of evil. You travel around the world, do a little Carmen Sandiego thing. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? And we go to different countries. You can see how different places have different spirits. 
In China, there's the spirit of stability. Everything is about stability. You can hardly have a press release without stability being in there somewhere. That's the goal. That is the spirit of the place. In Quebec, we talk about laicite, the spirit of secularism, the spirit of being able to separate or distinguish between religion and the state. In Canada, we grew up talking about the spirit of multiculturalism. Everybody's good. Everybody's okay. Wherever you come from, right? That's the spirit of the wider country. And in the U.S., well, we could be here all day. There are many spirits. One might even say legion. And these spirits have certain things that they insist on, no matter where you are. Every spirit has its own goal and its own message and its own thing that it wants to promote. Spirit that says what feels right is right. We all know about that spirit, don't we? The sexual and gender revolution that we're going through really does boil down to if it feels right, it ought to be right. And so here we are filling out passport applications that have male, female, other. I'd like you to draw me what other looks like. Complicated. Or the spirit that insists that kindness is natural. Evil is taught. Kids are born kind and generous and loving, right, Susie? always doing the right thing, always seeking to please their parents. And it's not until the parents and the educational system gets involved that suddenly kids learn what racism is, what meanness is, what disobedience is. But if we just left the kids to themselves out in Les Bois, somewhere in the Laurentians, without interfering, raised by the wolves, they'd be kind as pie. That spirit is also very common, isn't it? Or the spirit that says that my tribe is always right and your tribe is always not just wrong, but evil. I see that in the spirit of our age where we don't know how to debate or discuss anything anymore. Everything becomes as, I'll throw in a little Latin for this morning, an ad hominem attack. We attack the person, not the ideas. Democracy is founded on the idea that people can sit down together and discuss different approaches to different problems. But there is a spirit that says my ideas, my approaches, my people's music, my people's movies, my people's whatever it is, is always good. And yours is always wrong and therefore must be destroyed. There are so many spirits out there that as John writes to us this morning, we need to learn to do what? Test them. Test the spirits. We have never lived in an age where it has been so important to have the wisdom to be able to sit down and test these spirits to see if they are the right spirit. To see if they are the spirit that will take our branches and graft them into the vine that is Jesus. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, John writes, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us in this way, I preached that sermon before, right? You see, so translated in this way, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, one of the spirits of the world is the spirit of love, worldly love. On one of my many trips to Jamaica, I was fortunate to have some very wealthy supporters that were with us, and they decided to take my colleague and I to the Bob Marley Museum. We were not going to go to the Bob Marley Museum unless somebody else paid for it, because it's not cheap. But it's kind of worth the experience. It's one of the houses that he lived in in Kingston, the last house that he was in, house he was shot in, his wife was shot in. And as we got to one of the upper rooms where some of his album collections were, we were asked as a group, what was Bob Marley's biggest hit song? Being as we were a bunch of very quiet introverts, everyone was kind of looking at their shoes or whatever, and I sort of piped up and said, one love? I got the right answer. The pastor from the LCMS. Yes, one love, right? You know it? One love, one heart. Let's get together and feel all right. But if I could quote from another famous song, what is love? It's very easy to talk about love, right? But it's a lot harder to define it. What does it actually look like? According to John, and according to Jesus, whom John is quoting from the third chapter of John's gospel, where it's recorded, love is to sacrifice oneself for the sake of another. Another who has not earned that sacrifice, who does not deserve that sacrifice. The place we as Christians confess that we see Jesus' love, see the spirit, the true spirit at work in the world, is on the cross. That is where we come to know love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the spirit of which Jesus speaks. This is the true spirit that is coming into the world. Love is Good Friday. That is how we come to know what love truly is. Love is the breathing out of a brand new spirit into the world. The only spirit who truly does have my best interests and your best interests at heart. Because that spirit is the Heilige Geist. The Holy Spirit. The one who takes our branches and grafts them into the true vine. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, John writes, God abides in him and he in God. Why do we recite 
the creed every Sunday? Why do we go through that Nicene Creed reciting all those long words over and over and over again? Because they are the words of the Varegeist, the true spirit, the real spirit, the spirit of the love of Jesus. And that's why here in our liturgy, even though it's not in our hymnals and I don't necessarily like adding things to the hymnal. I like to do it because this is what we've agreed on doing. But in this particular case, I make an exception that every week before we recite our creed, I look at all of you and say, let us love one another that with oneness of mind we may confess. Or something along those lines. Because those are the words from the liturgy of John Chrysostom in the 4th century in what is now Turkey. To love one another is to be able to confess Jesus as the Christ in the fullness of that creed. They go together. Because if we don't know what love is, how can we say that we know how to love our brother or our sister in need or not? You cannot know love unless you know what Jesus has done for you. You cannot say that Jesus is the only begotten Son without the Spirit, and you cannot know love without the Spirit that is the Lord. And so we cannot judge the spirits of this age until the Holy Spirit teaches us love through Jesus and the cross. If Jesus is to be the vine and we are to be the branches, the Father will first be the sower. And what he sows in us is the spirit that he sends out, who takes us and grafts us into Jesus, who is the vine. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there are many spirits in this world that are all trying to lead us somewhere, but it's not somewhere we want to end up. These spirits would have us build something beautiful. It's often what they sell. They aren't always out there telling you to be mean and evil and nasty. They aren't always the spirits of the concentration camps or the pogroms or the genocide. Sometimes they're the spirit that says, can't we all just have one love and one heart? The problem is without the true spirit, there is no foundation. There's no vine that you're grafted into. And as beautiful as the branch might be, it will not live and it will not last. What Jesus wants to do is take you and graft you into the true vine, which is himself. So I want to end with just a few words from a song that was sung at one of our youth events years ago that's always stuck with me. Because we're not singing, I'm not going to sing. So you'll have to imagine. Lord, walk with us one more mile. Carry us forward. Lord, walk with us one more mile and carry us onward. For you are the vine, we are the branches. You are the giver of truth, you are the light of life. You are the tree, the tree that we come from, steadfast our rock in the sea of time. Lord, give us the bread and wine, your body and spirit. Give to us your truth divine and help us to hear it. For you are the vine, we are the branches. You are the giver of truth. You are the light of life. You are the tree, the tree that we come from, steadfast our rock in the sea of time. Steadfast our rock 
in the sea of spirits, a life-giving vine, taking growth against Satan and his zeitgeist, the life-giving vine that is Jesus. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our true vine, the one who sends the true spirit. Amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.